And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 12. And, of course, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke. We've been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we've been on a journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're calling it our journey with Jesus, and we've been studying this Gospel of Luke, the most comprehensive, maybe uh, most comprehensive Gospel in the Bible in regards to learning about the life of Christ. And we're picking up tonight, right where we left off on Sunday night, and uh, we see here in verse number 13, of course, we've seen that Jesus was preaching to the Pharisees and to the lawyers, and then we saw on a Sunday night that he preached on the subject of fear and not being afraid. And then in verse 13, he's, he's just interrupted uh, by someone in the crowd there in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. And, and what we're going to see tonight, just, just by way of introduction, let me just say this. We're going to look at one of the parables that the Lord Jesus Christ taught. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And uh, it has to do with finances and covetousness and uh, we're going to not only see the parable, but also uh, some of the lessons that Jesus taught afterwards regarding finances. And uh, the only reason we're preaching about this is just because it's where we find ourselves tonight in this uh, passage of Scripture. And in verse 13, the Bible says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance uh, with me. So someone from the crowd uh, just speaks up as Jesus is speaking to this crowd and uh, gathers the attention of Christ, and he makes a, res- a request. He says, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And apparently, uh, this man had a brother uh, who they had gained an inheritance. The brother was trying to keep the inheritance for himself. And this man is trying to make sure that he gets his rightful portion of it, and he's seeking for Jesus to help in the sense that he wants Jesus to go to his brother and tell him, hey, you need to divide the inheritance with uh, your uh, brother. And I, and I want you to understand the context in which Jesus gave this parable. And I want you to notice that Jesus' response was not necessarily uh, the, the, the friendliest uh, response. And we already saw on Sunday uh, from Luke chapter 11 and the first part of Luke 12 that Jesus is not uh, having a lot of patience with these Pharisees and false preachers that he's speaking to. In verse 14, the Bible says, And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And what Jesus is responding is he's saying, Look, I did not come to deal with with temporal matters such as dealing with the dividing of inheritance. It's unfortunate uh, that, you know, the Bible says there's no new thing under the sun. And even today, uh, you will find that often families will divide and fight and separate over the subject of inheritances. And that's a sad state. Uh, That's a sad statement uh, to be said of a family. And Jesus is kind of irritated with this guy. He, he interrupts the sermon. I mean, Jesus isn't even talking about finances. Jesus is talking about other stuff, and this guy interrupts him and says, you know, he's not paying attention to what Jesus is talking about. He says, can you help me out here? Can you uh, judge? Can you uh, tell my brother that he needs to divide the inheritance with me? And Jesus responds, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And then I want you to notice in verse 15, Jesus gives both a warning and he gives a bit of wisdom as he sets up 
to give this parable. And I want you to understand the context in which he gave the parable. It's interesting to me that often some of these parables that we study in the Bible, uh, some of the best-known parables in Scripture are often an answer to a question. We saw that with the Good Samaritan. Jesus was asked, you know, who is my neighbor? And instead of just saying, well, let me tell you who your neighbor is, he gives this amazing story, this parable, to drive through a point. And here he has a man who's fighting with his brother about money. And Jesus uh, answers him and really rebukes him with a parable. But he sets up the parable with both a warning and a bit of wisdom. The warning is found there in the first part of verse 15. Notice what he says, Luke 12 and verse 15. And he said unto them, notice what he says. Now, this man is speaking to him. He says, my brother and I are fighting over an inheritance. If they're fighting over an inheritance, presumably someone has died, and probably their father. And at a time when they should be coming together as a family and uh, comforting each other, instead they're fighting about money. And they try to bring Jesus into this thing. And Jesus says, you know what? Let me give you a bit of warning. He says, take heed. Now that word heed there is an older word that we don't commonly use today in our vernacular. But the word heed means, means to give careful attention to, to pay attention to. And Jesus says, take heed. And then he says this, and beware. The word beware means to be very cautious. He, he says, I want you to be very careful. He says, take heed. I want you to pay special attention, give careful attention, and I want you to beware. I want you to be very cautious. You say, regarding what? Regarding what is it that Jesus is warning about? He says, take heed and beware of covetousness. Jesus speaks to this idea of coveting or covetousness. And again, even that is a term that's not often used in our modern uh, uh, language today, but the word covetousness or to covet means to have excessive desire for wealth or possessions. It's, the word that you and I would probably use would be the word greed. And Jesus says, I want you to take heed and beware of covetousness. He said, I want you to take heed and beware of having uh, an excessive desire for wealth, an excessive desire for things and for possessions. He says, I want you to be uh, weary and beware of this idea of greed. That's the warning. Then I want you to notice the bit of wisdom that Jesus gives. You say, why should you be, take heed? Why should you beware regarding covetous? Notice the, the, the piece of wisdom, the tip on wisdom is found in the second part of verse 15. Notice what Jesus says. He says, for a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Jesus says, look, I want you to take heed, and I want you to beware of covetousness. You say, why? Here's why. Because there's more to man's life than the things he has. There's more to man's life than the things he owns. He says, for a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And I'm here to tell you something. That goes completely in the opposite direction of the world philosophy today. Because the world's philosophy today, and, you know, a, a quote that I've heard many people say, and usually when people say it, they say it in a joking fashion. And if you've said this, I'm not picking on you. Honestly, if you're here tonight and you've said this, I don't know it, okay? I'm not God. I don't know every dumb thing you say. Uh, but, you know, I, I often will hear people uh, make jokes like this. And they'll, they'll say something like, he who dies with the most toys wins. That's the world's philosophy. 
But Jesus would say, a man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. See, what Jesus is speaking to, and what Jesus is about to just really dig in as he enters into this parable, is this idea of human tendency. Because you might sit there and think to yourself, well, I'm not covetous, I'm not greedy. But the truth is this, we all struggle, and we at times can all struggle with this idea of being covetous, this idea of having greed, this idea of lusting over things and possessions and the things that we possess. The truth of the matter is this, that there is a human tendency to believe that I am significant because of not who I am, but where I live, not because of my character, but what I drive, not because of uh, uh, the, the, the attitudes and the attributes of my personality, but because of what I wear today. Look, it's, isn't it true? And look, I'm not picking on, if you drive a nice fancy car, I'm not picking on you. Honestly, I, the, the honest truth about Verity Baptist Church is that I have no idea what any of you drive. I get here about an hour and a half before any, you know, before most of you do, and I don't, I don't know what you drive. But isn't it true? You talk to the average person that buys the most expensive luxury vehicle or whatever, the new, the biggest fad, the, the nicest Tesla, and you, you ask them, why did you buy that? And they'll give you all these logical reasons because we like to justify our purchases. Well, it's the safest, you know, I got to get it for safety and it had this and it had that. And I understand it has, has those things. But here's the honest truth. Most people make purchases based off of status. That's why you won't shop at a thrift store. That's why you only wear certain brands. We often, whether we want to admit it or not, believe that there is significance to who we are based of the things we own, based of the possessions we have. We believe that there is significance because of where we live, because of what we wear, because of where, uh, what we drive. And Jesus' response to that is this, a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Jesus says there's more to life than things. He says there's more important things than money. Jesus would look at this man, this, this brother who's fighting with his brother about money, and Jesus would say, you know that there's more to life than money? And in that context, Jesus begins to teach this parable. I want you to notice it. Verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. I want you to notice that Jesus gives us a parable about a rich man. And there's three things that I'd like you to notice about this rich man that Jesus expresses to us. And then there are some things that Jesus, um, some teaching that Jesus uh, does after he gives this parable in regards to application. If you're taking notes tonight, I would encourage you to take notes on the back of your course. The week there's a place for you to write down some things. I'd like you to notice number one tonight, the rich man's excess. Here, the Bible says, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. The word plentiful or plentifully is the, is, is, is the word plenty. It means abundantly. It means a lot. This rich man uh, uh, is a farmer, and his ground brought forth a lot, brought forth plenty. There was a lot there. You say, why does Jesus... 
uh, tell us this story. And I want you to understand, because Jesus says, let me tell you about a certain rich man. And, and, and you and I might define a rich man in different ways. You, you ask you know, 20 different people what makes somebody rich, and they might give you 20 different answers. But I want you to notice that Jesus in this parable tells us what he considers a rich man. He said, let me tell you about a rich man. How, how, what made him rich, Jesus? Why are you referring to him being rich? He said, here's why he was rich, because his uh, ground brought forth plentifully. He says, this was a rich man. You might ask the question, why? And Jesus answers that question and says, hey, here's why he was rich, is because he had excess. He had plenty. He had more than he needed. Notice there, verse 17, and he thought within himself, Jesus is telling us, this parable of this rich man whose land, whose ground brought forth plentifully. And Jesus tells us that this rich man, verse 17, had, uh, that he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? See, he has a dilemma. He has a problem. He says, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. The rich man had a problem that Jesus tells us about, and Jesus uses that problem to identify that he was a rich man. You say, how did Jesus identify that he was a rich man? He identified that he was a rich man because he had more stuff than he had where to store that stuff. He said, I I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Often when we teach through these parables, of course, these are stories They're not literal stories. They are uh, stories that Jesus tells. We often say that they are uh, earthly stories with a spiritual truth. He gives us earthly stories about things on earth when he's trying to drive a spiritual truth. And often in these parables, these different characters represent uh, different uh, individuals. Sometimes they represent God the Father, and sometimes they represent the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes they represent uh, saved people and unsaved people. I want you to know, and if you're taking notes, and if you don't mind writing in your Bible, and if you'd like to maybe circle a word and draw a little arrow towards that word, if you want to understand this parable, there in verse 16, when the Bible says, a certain rich man, you say, who's that rich man? Who's the, what's the interpretation that Jesus is teaching us here? That certain rich man, you can write this down, is you. Amen. And it's me. It's us. Because according to Jesus' definition, you're rich. You say, I'm, I don't consider myself rich. I know you don't. You know that rich people don't consider themselves rich? I mean, I'm talking about millionaires. You talk to millionaires, and you know what they tell you? I just need a little more. The eye always wants more. The ear always wants to hear more. And the lust of man is never full. So you can't base whether you're rich off some, you know, statistic. You say, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, when you have more than you can store, you're rich. Let me just read to you real quickly from an article. This is from popularscience.com. They said, you're probably already aware that Americans consume a disproportional amount of the world's stuff. You may even have bumped into some of the statistics. We as Americans make up 5% of the global population. Think about this. We make up 5% of the global population, but use 20% of the world's energy. We eat 15% of the world's meat. 
We produce 40% of the world's garbage. We are the consumer of the world. And you say, oh, that's other people. No, no, no. That's you. That's me. Because here's what I know about you, and I don't need to know you to know this about you, that you probably have more food in your refrigerator right now than you could eat in one sitting. And what that means is, and I'm not mad at you, and Jesus isn't mad at you, by the way. Let me say this. There was nothing wrong with this man having plenty, nothing wrong with it at all. Jesus just says, that's what makes you rich when you have more. See, some of you, you have so much stuff. You've got an entire room in your house called a garage that is supposed to house vehicles, but yet your two-plus all the other vehicles you've got have to be outside because your garage is just filled. And I'm not, look, I'm not picking on you, and I did not look in your garage when you had us over for dinner. Your garage is just filled with stuff. You're rich. And some of you, and some of you, and I'm not picking on you, I just want you, some of you have so much stuff. I mean, your garage is filled. Your attic is filled. You've got, you know, guest rooms filled. Some of you even rent storage facilities <laughs> to keep all of your stuff. You're the rich man in this parable. And he thought with himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no more room where to bestow my fruits. Look at verse 18. And he said, This will I do. I'll go down the road and rent a storage facility. Four by six is all I need till I outgrow that, then 12 by 13. He says, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. See, we see about this man's excess. And Jesus says his excess is what made him rich. His excess is what put him in the classification of being rich. And here's all I'm telling you. Please understand this. If you live in the United States of America, if you were born in the United States of America, you won the lottery. You are rich by any metric, by any standard. And by God's standard, you are rich. Because here's what the Bible says, and we'll look at it later on. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. The only thing that God says you need is food and raiment. And if you've got more, you're rich. He says he was rich because of his excess. And please, understand this. Jesus is not condemning his success. He's not condemning the fact that he was rich. In fact, All throughout the Bible, God used poor people and rich people. I won't take the time to go through uh, all the proof texts, but if you consider the lives of men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Job, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea, these were all examples of successful, rich people that were godly people that God used. So Jesus is not attacking the fact that the man is successful, he's not attacking the fact that the man had excess. What Jesus is attacking is what the man did with his excess. So I'd like you to notice, first of all, tonight, we see the rich man's excess. But I want you to notice, secondly, tonight, the rich man's exchange. See, we all make exchanges 
based off the things we have. Luke 12, 17, notice again. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Verse 18, and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my goods, uh, all my fruits and my goods. You say, what was this man doing? He was choosing to invest the excess into himself. Look at verse 19. And I will say to my soul, soul, I love, I love how Jesus tells these stories. This guy's talking to himself. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You can write next to Luke 12, 19, the American dream. I mean, isn't that true? Isn't that what we're told? We're told you should pursue happiness. What is happiness? Uh, a house full of stuff you don't use. Garages full of stuff. You don't even remember. I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves. You buy stuff you already own because you didn't remember that you'd bought it. You get boxes delivered to your doorstep and you have to open them to see what's inside because you don't remember what you even ordered. I mean, we live a life of excess. We live a life of wealth. And this man said, all of this is going to get directed back into myself. He said, I'm going to eat and drink and be merry. I'm going to live so that I could just, so that I could just lay on a beach somewhere and just relax for the rest of my life because that will make me happy. And Jesus says, thou fool. Notice verse 20. See, we see the exchange. What was the exchange? This man decided. You say, what did he decide? See, the problem was not that he had excess. The problem was not that he did well in business. The problem was not that he worked hard. In fact, I think God wants you to work hard, and God wants you to do well in business. And God, God does not want you to love money and be motivated by money, but you ought to go out and be the best whatever you are, you can be. And you ought to get promoted. And you ought to uh, get the raises. And all throughout the Bible, you see that God's people, uh, when, when Joseph was put into the kingdom of Egypt, he started off as a slave, and he ended up the second most powerful man in Egypt. You have Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who were brought in as uh, servants and as captives, and yet they rose in power. I, I believe that God wants us to be, look, at your job, you ought to be the best worker. You ought to be the best worker. You say, why? Because you're working as unto the Lord. Amen. These are biblical teachings. So there's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having these things. But the problem is that this man made an exchange. When he got this money, he made an exchange, and he exchanged it upon himself. And I'm here to tell you something. When it comes to money, our life is a series of exchanges. Some of you men need to make some decisions and ask yourself, how much do you really need at the expense of your children's childhood? 
Because you, you make decisions. Life is a series of decisions. It's a series of exchanges. And we decide, well, I'm just going to work because I want that other vehicle. I'm going to work because I want that upgrade on that uh, phone. I'm going to work because I want to be able to afford that cruise and afford that vacation and afford this and afford that. But while you're doing all that, you're missing out on your children's childhood. You wonder why your relationship with your spouse is shallow. It's a series of exchanges we make. It's a series of decisions that we make. And look, all of us, we, we, we have to make the decisions, and, and we're all tempted. I, I mean, I'm a pastor in ministry. I can tell you this. I decided a long time ago that, that God would be first in my life. My wife and I decided a long time ago that our family would come before ministry. And that I wasn't going to be one of these pastors who was just out, you know, 14 hours a day, seven days a week, while all his kids went to hell. And if that means that we have not succeeded as well as we could have, or we have not accomplished as much as we could have, I, that's, that'll be for God to judge. I don't know. We're on a Wednesday night here, and there's 190 people here tonight. Yeah. I don't think we're doing terribly. But I'm just, I'm just here to, to tell you that you have to make a decision what you will do with the resources that God has given you, the time, the energy, and if you say, I got to put it all, I got to put it all in. I got to put it all into this idea that I want to get to the place where I've laid up for many years and take my knees and drink and eat and be merry. You're making the wrong exchange. You say, why is that? Well, I want you to notice the third thing that Jesus brings up, and it's this rich man's end. We see his excess. We see his exchange. You say, what did he live his life for? He lived his life for himself. What did he live his life for? He lived his life for uh, creating this nest egg. And look, I'm not, look I, I'm not telling you to be irresponsible when it comes to your finances. I think you should have a life insurance, especially if you have a wife that stays home and, and children that are depending on you. I think you ought to put away for retirement. All those things are good things to do, but don't allow them to become the focus of your life. Or all you think about and all you work for and you hire people to say, help me grow this and help me hedge this and help me look at it grow and grow. You say, well, what's wrong with that? Here's what's wrong with that. Your life will one day come to an end. Luke 12, verse 20. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And here's the key word. You got to underline this in your Bible or circle it in your Bible. Then. Then. Then who shall those things be? I heard a story of an older wise man who was speaking to a young man. He said, what are you going to do with your life? He said, I'm going to go to school and learn a skill or learn something so I can I'm going to learn something that I will allow me to make money. He said, and then what? Well, then I'm, I'm going to go to work and use that skill in the marketplace. and I'm going to find a job or start a business. And then what? Well, I'm going to make a lot of money, and, and I'm going to try to make as much money as possible. And then what? Well, I guess I'm trying to save as much and invest as much so that I could retire. And then what? 
Well, and then I guess I'll, I'll retire, and maybe I can retire early, and maybe I can relax on a beach somewhere and uh, just, uh, you know, not have to work, and then what? You see, oftentimes we make material decisions based off this life solely. But I'm here to tell you, there's always a then. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. See, the problem was not that this man was rich. The problem was that he was laying up treasures for himself. The problem is that he was not rich towards God. You're there in Luke chapter 12. Flip back with me if you would to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 8. This man was investing in himself and in his self-gratification. You say, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is this, that there is no lasting value in investing in yourself. Your life will come to an end. And then, and then, then who shall those things be? In Mark chapter 8, Jesus gives a very well-known passage of Scripture that kind of underlines this idea of the waste of exchange of the unbeliever who spends his life investing in himself. Mark 8, 36, Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man? Mark 8, 36, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? See, he says, what's the point? What's the point if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? What's the point of that? You say, well, I understand that's for unbelievers. That's for unsaved people. If they, if they live the greatest life here on earth, then they die and go to hell. There's no profit in that. But if you would go to Luke chapter 9, I've showed this to you recently, but I want you to see it again. Luke chapter 9, you're there in Mark. Just go back to Luke chapter 9. Luke 9 in verse 27. Luke 9, 27. Here we have the exact same idea, the exact same philosophy, but now applied to save people. Notice it doesn't say, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Luke 9.25 says, for what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be a castaway? The word castaway is not referring to somebody dying and going to hell or losing their soul like we saw in Mark chapter 8. But it is the idea of being disqualified from the race that you are in. The Apostle Paul put it this way. In fact, I'd like you to look at it. If you could, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You're there in Luke. You're going to go past John, Acts, Romans, into 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. Here's what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, he said, I myself should be a castaway. Paul was not talking about losing his salvation. You can't lose your salvation. But he is talking about losing his rewards. He is talking about losing 
the work that he had done. He said, look, I keep under my body. He says, I, I bring myself into subjection. I, I, I make sure that I uh, am disciplined. He said, lest that by any means when I preach to others, and Paul had preached to a lot of people, he said, the work that I have done, the life's work, I don't want it to be wasted. I keep under my body and bring it under subjection. He said, because I don't want to be a castaway. And Jesus said, for what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? The idea is this, that what is a man advantage? You say, well, I'm saying, what is a man advantage if you gain the whole world and you get to the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus says, your whole life was worthless. It all got burnt up. You say, I'm, I'm saved as of by fire. I'm saved. But nothing you did was of any eternal value because you lived for yourself. The problem with the rich man was not that he was rich. The problem with the rich man is that he was laying up treasures for himself. Go, Go back to Luke chapter 12 if you would. Luke chapter 12. See, investing in the things of God. Remember what he said there. Luke 12, verse 21. So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. You say, what Jesus is teaching is this. I'd rather be poor by this world's standards and rich towards God than be rich by this world's standards and be a castaway. Now, I want you to notice that in this parable that Jesus gives us, there are two big takeaways. There are two big applications. And I want you to identify them because those are the applications that lead us into the next section of this passage where Jesus ends this parable and now he begins to apply this parable. In verse 21, he says, So he that, is lay, so he that laid up treasures for himself, he says, So is he that laid up treasures for himself, what this rich man is, he says, and is not rich towards God. That's the one of the takeaways, one of the applications, is that when you make the exchange that you're going to live for stuff, you're going to live for things, you're going to live for personal enjoyment. It is a foolish thing to do because one day you will die, but you can't take it with you. He says, that foolish man, he said, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In verse 15, we see the other takeaway, which is the statement he made right before the parable, in which he was setting up the parable and he was teaching us what he, he was telling us what he was going to teach us, and it is this, Luke 12, 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. You say, what is it that Jesus was trying to teach us in this parable of the rich man? Here's what he was teaching us. That man's life consisted not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth, and that it is foolishness to lay up treasures for yourself while not being rich towards God. Those are the applications. Those are the takeaways. That is the reason that he gave the parable. And that, within that context, is what leads us into this next section. Notice that Luke 12, verse 22. Because Jesus gives this parable, and then he begins to teach this parable. He begins to explain these applications. Now, I want you to notice that in verses 22 through 34, he gives us a couple of things to ponder and a couple of things to pursue. Here are the things he'd like us to ponder. Notice verse 22. And he said unto his disciples, 
Therefore, I say unto you. I want you to notice that word, therefore. The word, therefore, means because of this. Because of what? Because of this parable I just taught you, Jesus would say. Because having excess and living for self and living for things, it's foolish because you'll die because there's a then. He said, with all that in mind, he says, therefore, I say unto you. Here's what I want you to take away from this. He says, take no thought for your life. He said, when it comes to the things you think about, the things you ponder, I don't want you, he said, I don't want you to think about these things. And when he says take no thought, what he really means, and, and, and what he's saying is, I don't want you to worry about these things. He says, take no thought. He says, don't, don't be concerned with these things. He says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. Now notice again, notice how he's bringing us back to this idea. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth, right? Jesus says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. Why is that, Jesus? Verse 23, the life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Do you understand there's more to life than the clothes you put on, the things you buy? So I want you to notice in this section about our thoughts, about the things we ponder, Jesus says, hey, don't worry. And look, he, he's, not, he's not saying, like, don't worry, like, be a lazy bum and try to live off the government. Don't worry about it. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, I don't want you to be anxious about it. I don't want you to worry about these things. He says, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. And here's what Jesus is really trying to teach his disciples. He says, that's what the world does. The world is overly concerned with things, with possessions with what they own, with their investments, with what they drive, with what they wear, with the restaurants they go to. Jesus says, this ought not be for Christians. He says, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Now I want you to notice, in verse 22, he says, don't think about this, take no thought. And then in verse 24, he says, think about this. Now he's going to tell you what you should think about. Look at it, verse 24. Consider. The word consider means I want you to take thought. Notice this. Jesus says, consider the ravens. For they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. And God feedeth them. Then he says this, how much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you taking thought can add to his stature one cubit. You can't do it. Trust me, I've tried it. <laughs> Verse 26. If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least. Jesus says, you know, the easiest thing for God is to grow a baby in the womb. The easiest thing for God is to grow a child as they mature. He says, if you are not able to do that thing which is least, he says, why take ye thought for the rest? Then he gives another example, verse 27. He says, consider. He said, I want you to think about these things. That's interesting to me that he says, I don't want you to think about this, what you shall eat and what you shall wear and what you shall drink. Don't worry about that. But if, if you are worried about, then consider these things. Consider the fact that God feeds the ravens and you are of more value than the ravens. And then he says in verse 27, consider the lilies, how they grow, they toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
If then God so clothed the grass, which today, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, he says, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? He says, I want you to consider something that God will give you what you need. Now keep your, keep your place right there and go with me if you would to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and the, towards the end of the New Testament. If you find the T-books, they're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, 1st Timothy. You say, I don't, I don't understand. So are we supposed to not work? Are we supposed to not? That's, that's, not, that's not what Jesus is teaching. What he's teaching is this. There's nothing wrong with having things. The problem is when those things have you. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. And especially if those things are tools that you're using. If, if, if you, 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 he says, look, you got to look, look at your life as being more than the things you own. And you got to look at the things you own as simply being tools in your life. Here's the honest truth. People, they, they get so worried about where they live and, and how much their house is worth and whether they can sell it or whether they can. And look, I'm just here to tell you something. That house you live in is simply a tool that God has given you to house your family, to raise your children while you serve God. The car you drive is a tool to get you from A to B, from B to C. You say, what are those? From the house to work, from the house to church. It's just a tool. It's just something that God has given you. You don't live for that. You say, well, what do I live for? 1 Timothy 6, verse 6. Here's what Paul said. But godliness with contentment is great gain. See, here's the problem with the possessions game is that it's never enough. It's never enough and never will be enough. No matter how nice your phone is, in six months, a nicer one will come out. No matter how nice your vehicle is, in one year, it'll no longer be new and there'll be a newer, faster, more high-tech, more whatever version. Doesn't matter how nice your house is, somebody has a nicer house. Doesn't matter how nice your clothes are, they will not be in style this time next year. Paul says, Look, you say, What should I be living for? He said, Live for this godliness. But godliness with contentment is great gain. You say, but that's just not enough. That's not enough to just be right with God, to just live for God and then be content. Paul says, It would be enough if you understood this. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world, rich man, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. See, what the Bible is teaching is that there's more to life than the things we own. There's more to life than the things we possess. And really, you say, what if I didn't have any of it? Look, here's what the Bible says. If you were right with God, and if you learned to be content, then you could be happy with simply having food and raiment. And God owes you nothing else. And look, the Bible says, and the psalmist said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. 
And 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 I and look, you you live in the United States of America. I doubt any of you are just starving. You know, and you just don't. You're all clothed, praise God. For we brought nothing into this world. It is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. Here's the problem. This is where we, most of us, come in. Verse 9. But they that will be rich. The word will means I have a desire to. That's my goal. That's my intent. But they that will be rich. God says, Paul says, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not, the problem is not money, it's the love of money. So Jesus says, stop worrying. God will take care of you. Keep your finger right there, 1 Timothy 6. Go back to Luke chapter 12. 1 Timothy 6, verse 12. We'll be done in five minutes. Luke 12, remember he told us what to ponder. He says, take no thought, take no thought for your life, for what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. He says, I do want you to consider the ravens, and I do want you to consider the lilies. He says, those are the things I want you to ponder. Then he tells us, there's, a couple, there's some things I'd like you to pursue. Now, he begins by telling us what not to pursue. Notice it, verse 29. And seek not. He said, don't go after this. Seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink. Neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after. Let me tell you something. Your unsaved friends, your unsaved family, your unsaved neighbors, they are all engaging in a rat race for stuff. That's what they seek after. He says, for all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things. He says, look, God knows that you need what you need. So don't, don't make your life about seeking those things. Don't make your life about pursuing those things. Don't make your life about acquiring those things and gathering those things. Don't make your life about that. You say, well, what should I make my life about? He, notice what he says, verse 31. He says, but rather... He says, instead of that, instead of seeking and gratifying himself, he said, but rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. He said, you got to make your life about God. God is the goal. Make your life about God, about seeking God, about loving God, about knowing God, about making God known to others. And Jesus says, when you do that, when you do that, look, if he takes care of the ravens, if he clothes the lilies, don't you think he'll take care of you? Verse 32. He says, fear not. I love, I love the intimacy that Jesus gives here. Fear not, little flock. He calls them little flock because they're probably scared. Like, really? You want us to what? Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he gives a very practical application. And look, and if you have not liked the sermon so far, you're not going to like this. Because he's dealing with people that are covetous. And you know, the, what the Bible teaches is that whenever we struggle with something, we should force ourselves to do the exact opposite. 
You say, I struggle with fear. Well, make yourself do whatever it is that you're afraid about and exercise faith. I struggle with lying. Then be honest. I struggle with stealing. Then work hard and pay for what you have. The idea in the Bible is that we always do that which is opposite as to what it is that we're struggling. And here Jesus in this application says, if you are the kind of person that tends to worry about money, to be consumed with money, to be desirous of things, to want to possess things, he said, here's how you fix that. Verse 33, sell all you have. (laughs) I didn't think I'd get any amens. Sell all you have and give alms. Here's what you, you said. That's radical. Jesus is radical. Amen. Say, Pastor, you're telling me I should sell everything? I'm not saying you sell everything, but I'm telling you this. If you've got a, a storage full of garbage, maybe you should sell it. Amen. You didn't do what with it and give alms. You say, why would I do that? And provide yourself bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens, that faileth not. See, here's what Jesus is trying to get at, and really this is the entire point. He's been, all of this has been leading him to this one idea, and here's what he's saying. He's saying, the rich man is a fool because he failed to understand this, that money is simply a tool. Money is not something we should live for. Money is not something we should worry about. Money is not something that we should desire. Money is simply a tool. And if you use it for yourself, it'll end on this earth. But you can actually use money as an investment, not in yourself, but in others. Amen. And when you invest in others, you will actually have an eternal reward. So he says, sell all you have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupt. He says in verse 34, and you say, I don't like the sermon. Well, verse 34 is the reason you don't like it. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Amen. And for some of you, your heart is in the stock market and in your 401k. In that car you drove, and in that vacation you're taking. And Jesus gives us the litmus test of your heart. I love Jesus. Jesus says, okay, put your money where your mouth is. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. You say, I struggle with covetous. Become generous. I struggle with desiring things. Sell them. Sell them all. I'm I'm not saying sell everything and don't pay your... I'm not saying to be irresponsible, but here's what I'm telling you. If things have a possession over you, some of you need to go home tonight and look at that vehicle and look at those clothes and look at those toys and say, you do not own me. You are not the boss of me. I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to be radically generous. I'm going to sell you and give it to missions. Because Jesus says, the way you fight covetousness is you become generous. Notice what Paul tells Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. That's you. With your garage full of stuff. With your trunk full of stuff. 
Your closets are so overwhelmingly full with stuff, you don't even know. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. Because remember, human tendency is to see our value based on the things we have. We tend to think that there is value to our life because of the places we live, the vehicles we drive, the clothes we wear. And the Bible says, hey, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Because here's the truth. Everything you have came from God. And then he says, here's what you should do, verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute. What does distribute mean? It means to to send it out. Ready to distribute, willing to communicate. You're not going to like this, but that word communicate is the same idea as where we get the idea of, of, of communism. He says, hey, rich people, You got so much you don't know what to do with it? He said, share it. Communicate it. Distribute it. Verse 19. You say, what what would I do if I did that? What would happen? Here's what would happen. Verse 19. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Is that talking about going to heaven? No, it's talking about the only way, the only way that you can take the things you have on this earth and translate them into being able to hold them in heaven is when you take those things and don't use them up for yourself. When you use it and you invest it in others and helping others and loving others and the work of God, the ministry of God, he said you translate it and you send it ahead. So he says lay up for yourself lay up and store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come. Say, what is the difference between a rich fool and a wise fool? Excuse me. A rich, a wise rich person. See, I mean, you're not even listening. You don't even know what I'm saying. Because here's the truth. We're all rich. Can we agree to that? If not, let's go to Africa. What's the difference? Here's the difference. The rich fool lays up for himself. And then he dies. The wise person that God has blessed with wealth, they are laying up in store for themselves a good foundation. Here are the key words, verse 19. Against the time to come. So what are you living for? Today? Or eternity? How are you exchanging your goods? On yourself or for others? Because the problem is not with being rich and the problem is not with having things. The problem is with what we do with the excess of those things. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this passage of Scripture. I realize that in 2022 America it's not going to be the most exciting biblical lesson but it's what you want us to learn 
And Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that we have all been so richly blessed. Every good gift comes from above. And Lord, there's nothing wrong with using the finances you've given us to raise our families and have somewhere nice to live and have a good, reliable vehicle. There's nothing wrong with that. But I pray you'd help us to not live for that. And where we have access, help us to love others, help others, invest others, give alms. Help us to invest in the work of God and spreading the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would not allow us to live for ourselves, but help us to lay in store for the time to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're now, Brother Moses, come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of reminders. First of all, don't forget that in your bulletin, you should have one of these Family and Friend Day cards. So if you could use this to invite someone to Family and Friend Day, 